All right. Okay, um, welcome back. Uh, Song of Solomon, chapter 7. I am uh, really going to focus on verses 1 through 10. Now, just, uh, but actually technically include the half of verse 13 from chapter 6. So, um, I think in your handouts, and if you have an ESV, they have a subheading of he at the beginning of at the beginning of the second half of verse thirteen. All right, now the, the, that's that's very helpful. Now it's not so helpful though when you get to verse ten of chapter seven because um, I'm sorry, verse nine, verse nine. It says she. At the, at the end of verse 9, and I, I actually believe that's still he talking. And um, a lot of people are. I mean, it's, it's one of those things where the ESV translators, that's supposed to be helpful, but of course in the original text, there are no, there's no she's or he's, there's no uh, verse or chapters, it's just words. Um, and I think... Um, I think it makes reference to the best wine. It goes down smoothly for my beloved, gliding over lips and teeth, and it would make sense that he's saying that. I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't not make sense if she says it, but it just seems like it's a progression. And then in verse ten, there is the male pronoun, "I, my beloved's, and his desire is for me." Come, my beloved, let us go out into the fields. That seems like a, a a better kind of break. Okay, that's the boring part. I just, but I uh, so as I make reference to that, I want to make sure that we just we understand each other. Okay, now before we actually get into the Bible, oh, and um, I'm probably not going to read <laughs> most of the verses of. Uh, 1 through 10, because uh, eh, <laughs> it's pretty, uh, it's something. Okay. All right. What, but I, before we do that, though, I want to I do a little exercise in uh, paradigms, giving and receiving, because this is important for what happens in chapter 7. All right. So this is real simple, I think, but... Um, just a couple of ways of understanding how we give things and the things that are given and how we receive things. So, you have a giver. That seems obvious, right? That's a, that's a subject. They're, they're a, are a, there's a person who... Okay. Um, and what do givers give? They give a gift, right? Okay. And those who receive it are gifted. Right? They're 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 direct object of Okay. Just, it seems obvious, but it's important for us. Now I, I use the word gifted rather than what word? Receiver. Now mainly to show a point that the giver gifted a gift then makes a, uh, it keeps the same kind of emphasis. All right, so the receiver is gifted. So the gift actually changes the, the, the receiver into gifted. That mimics the giver. So that, okay, then, that, then, okay, that changes the giver, the gifted, changes them. So now you have a giver, what do they do? They give, or so they're giving. And then I, we actually have a word in English, so I used it. This one I made up. But, um, so they're receiving. The, the, the gifted is receiving. Now, when the gifted receives the gift, now what do they, now think about very concretely. What do they have in their hand? They have a gift, right? A gift now in their hands, and now they've, they've, they've actually transformed into something. 
They've, they've been transformed into a giver. Okay, this is important for us. Um, actually, in the, in the biblical text. All right, but they don't use that kind of language. They use this kind of language, mainly. So you have a lover. What do, they, what do lovers give? Love. And then you, you're, a, you're beloved. Okay. Lovers, what are they doing? They're loving. And so then, I made up a word. Loving. I think you'd say being love is how you would say it in English technically. Loving. Loving. Yeah, you know, it was, it was nice when I wrote it up here originally. Maybe I'll move it over a little bit. The glare was not, it was over, over there. I forgot they even exist. <laughs> Thank you. That's right. I, well, I, yeah, we never have a problem with that. Okay. All right, so now uh, the beloved has received love. Same situation. Oh, so um, the gifted, the receiving, now they become giver. And now the process can work in reverse, where the gifted becomes the giver, and the giver now can become the gifted. Okay. All right. So, same situation here now. The loved, the, the beloved that's been lovedine, now can become the lover. Let's change them. Okay. Now we have a speaker. We're going we're gonna to use words now. Okay. Okay, what does the speaker give? Speech? All right. So now, what's the receiver of a speech? Hearer? <laughs> I know. It's difficult, isn't it? And the reason why this is important for us to go through is because there's very, the, the hardest verse in this chapter actually has to do with this right here. And the fact that we actually are having, tr- like, we have to think about how we, we do this, it, it, proves, it proves the point. He's a hearer, he or she's a hearer, or listener, right? Speech, you could also say words, right? Okay. So now that the, uh, okay, great. So speaker, what do they do? They're speaking, and then they're hearing or listening. Okay. So, the hearer, by hearing, what do they become now? According to the paradigm, they become a speaker, right? Okay. Right, maybe. I mean, theoretically. This is all kind of theoretical. Now, the reason why I bring this up is because the giver now that was the gifted, what do they have in their hand? A gift. What gift is it in this paradigm? It's the same, it's, well, it's the same gift. It's not a different one. But they are returning it back to a giver. Okay. Uh, Looking at this rather than a straight line. It is, it is circular, but it's not, it's a circular that is like rolling down a hill. Or a wheel moving. So it doesn't stay put, it keeps moving. So the gift, theoretically, is not exactly the same now. But it could only exist because of the giver. All right. So it's like this. If you want, image-wise, it's, um, it's like a wheel moving. So where you have these intersections and separations so you have these exchanges happening all the time. Of course, though, since you asked, Carol, um, when a gift is not given, but a, um, let's say, a coercion, then this stops. Or, if someone does not receive it, obviously it stops, too. So there's a lot of things in play 
in order for a gift to be given and received. Okay? Okay, great. So, how we understand one actually receiving the gift if they become a giver. And how one actually understands receiving love is they become a lover. You can't always stay purely passive and actually understand yourself as being uh, loved. That's why this is important, Carol. Because if it was only circular, then, then this uh, gift, gifted or receiver could always just simply be that. And now they, they can never become a giver. But when the moves, again, this is kind of picturized. Okay, great. So the speaker, though, words, listener, when they become a speaker, what words are they going to say? The same words, right? Because they've been getting a gift. I mean, this is just how we are, right? I mean, if we thought concretely about this, I have a cup of water. I give it to Krista. I mean, this seems so simplistic, right? You've been gifted. Now she has something to give away. Right? See, the thing is, is that um, with those, that kind of demonstration, it's obvious. But when we think about words, we think, hey, we can change them. And I can become a giver. Well, if you change the words, what have you done to the speaker? Have you actually received or heard? No, you haven't. Because you just said, well, now why I bring this up is because of compliments. <laughs> compliments. All right. If you take a look at the first ten verses of chapter seven, including the second half of verse 13, chapter six, this man is saying very intimate and wonderful things about a woman. Well, his, uh, his lover, his wife. Okay, now just, just a few odds and ends about this text to kind of give you the full picture of this. There's only one article of clothing mentioned. Sandals. So... The idea is, this is a very private dance between a husband and wife. Okay, and he is talking, uh, he's describing to this woman how, I'll just make it simple, how beautiful she is and how he wants to love her. And then in verse 10, what does she say? I am my beloved's and his desire is for me. Um, so by saying that, what has she acknowledged? There's a couple things. That he loves her. Okay, that he loves her. <coughs> she belongs to him. She belongs to him. Are the things he's saying true? She doesn't dispute them. That's right. Um, she acknowledges that this, this is true. This is a true statement. Now, okay, why is that difficult to actually acknowledge and believe that these statements are true? Think about it in terms of, uh, well, yeah, let's just, I'll leave it at that. And, oh. I just, the words are not, I don't know of anybody who has that. I mean, I know... Ivory Tower being a, a beautiful structure, right. like like the Tower of Pisa, right? We look at it and we're like, oh, that's beautiful. But if you take it literally, it doesn't. Yeah. Well, I agree with you, interesting because Jews were dark-skinned people, and there was a lot of sun there, so for it to be white meant she covered herself. You keep them getting sunburned. Well, that's, and there's a, uh, yep. So, okay, but hang on, though. Um, when someone pays you a compliment and you say thank you, um, 
theoretically, by saying thank you, you say, that's true. Not true just simply that I acknowledge you said this compliment, but I actually acknowledge this is a true statement about myself. And so what the woman has acknowledged is that, yeah, I am, I am beautiful, but not just kind of beautiful in general, but Donna said it earlier, it looks like we have returned to, where did you say? Garden of Eden. Beautiful as in, like, true beauty, fundamental beauty, the beauty that which God has just created, created the world. Um, and that is very difficult for us because what do we know about ourselves? We know our flaws. And that's, what is the hardest, what is, what is, the, what is, what is, what is hard about receiving compliments? Don't see yeah, right. Okay. So um, when a man pays, oh, it's like for instance in the text, when a man uh, gives uh, a woman a compliment, or uh, when a husband gives a, uh, a wife a compliment, um, and, and you know the wife says thank you, the struggle of the receiver is to actually say, yeah, I believe you in spite of what I know about myself. Now, what drives us up a notch, though, is is that this is an allegory, right, of God saying this to Israel. What do we, I mean, what do we know about Israel? (laughs) No, right. Um, She, you know, Israel already, you know, at the Mount Sinai, went after other gods. And then, of course, it just keeps going, right? Then, of course, now Jesus talks about this, about the bride. And in Ephesians chapter 5, maybe we should just turn to it. Um, So Christ says this about the church, which means Christ says this about, about you. All right, Ephesians 5. By the way, if you see a Bible lying around somewhere in the church... It's probably mine. I, I, can't, I can't find it anywhere. Somewhere. So this is, uh, this is not my Bible. That's why the pages are all stuck together. Um, okay. Start, starting um, at verse... Well, let's start at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. Okay. Um, in Song of Solomon, chapter 6, 13 through um, 9a, what is he describing? He's describing a woman without, who's holy, without blemish, Spot or wrinkle or any such thing. So, but this is unrealistic because, um, so the, the, um, so either the man's lying, which could be denying or, or he's blind, right? He could be blind. I mean, it's all visual, it's all visual language. In this text, and then we get into sense, uh, smelling right after this. But um, yeah, he, he could be uh, lying, or he could be making it up because he actually can't see. Or what would be the third option? Great. That's right, out of eyes of love. And what does love do to your eyes? It pretends, right? It pretends and just overlooks all the imperfections. Is that the source of the old phrase, love is blind, deaf, and dumb? No, see, unfortunately, it's not that love is blind, deaf, or dumb, but actually love sees more than what you see, that you see. So this is really important for us, especially as God says very nice things about you. God sees the whole picture. 
And God sees what you are to become. I mean, he acknowledges who you are and what you are, but he doesn't let that be the, the defining uh, image of you. He lets the, the, what technically is called, or theologically called, the eschaton, the last image of you, the final image of you, which will be uh, the image in, in uh, Ephesians chapter 5, where Christ will bring his bride to the heavenly banquet, washed, without spot or wrinkle, holy, or any such thing. Or with spot or wrinkle, with any such thing, holy and acceptable. So, but the thing is, though, is that God already says those things about you now. And when he says those words to you, what, what, what do we do? What's our, what's our, what's, what's, what's the faithful thing to do? It's to believe. It's to receive. And when you receive these words, you become something different. But when God speaks, you become what he says. A believer? Well, a believer is one who says to God, I, that's, that's what I am. Yep, I am that. In spite of what? What you know about yourself. So what is interesting is this woman says, I am my beloved and his desire is for me. The word me is not according to what I think, but according to what he just said. Barbara. That's right. I guess my... It's normal Christian, normal Christian things. Yep. God looks at me. He doesn't see me. He sees Christ. Okay. He does not see me. Yeah. Okay. That, see, this is where um, we, have, we have a little phrase. He sees you for... for let's finish the, the sentence. He sees you for whose sake? For Christ's sake. See, the problem, Barbara, what you said was, if God does not see you, then, then you just annihilated yourself. And he only sees Christ. Okay, so this is where 1 Corinthians chapter 13 becomes very important, right? So you're not technically, I mean, you, you're not wrong, but let's flush it out a little bit more. Because this is, again, kind of the, the hardest part of verse 10 for me. It's just, it's, it's this confession of saying, I actually believe what God says about me for Christ's sake. So, so what happens is when, but the thing is, though, who are you? You are, uh, when you're baptized, you're baptized into Christ. You are now in Christ but the you is still you, right? There's no merit That's right, but you still are God's creature. God created you. First article, God created me and all creatures. Why did he do it? Out of... That's right. That's right, exactly. Okay, good. So, already in the creation of you, he has shown grace. He's, uh, it's, 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 it's love. He's already shown love. So, okay. So the thing is, though, is that what happened in the Garden of Eden? We said, no, thank you, right? But his love is still, he's still loving, right? So Christ comes into the world. Now, Christ would have already come into the world. I mean, that's just, he's, it's not like a plan B for Christ to come into the world. I mean, that's Christ's love. That's the Father loving. Okay? So, so, already, when God says, I created you in the image of God, whose image is he specifically talking about? Jesus's, right? So, yeah, Barb, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13 I'm sorry, not 13. Chapter 12. Does anyone know, uh, like, generally speaking, what that is? That's the one body with many members. 
So he's describing Christ's body, but many members. So you are in Christ, Barb, but you are still your, you. You're not annihilated. And that's, that's the tough thing for people who know, I mean, you know that you're a sinner. And so, you're like, ah, okay, that's nice, but I, I really know the whole story, God. That's actually not true. Well, when you've done that, you've actually called God a liar, which, generally speaking, is not a good idea. All right, so... Um, so this is the thing, is that she's now been transformed by these words, and she says, yeah, he loves me, and he desires me. And the me is what he just said. So this is the hard thing, too. This, goes with every, this has to do with faith, in general. I do this with kids all the time, when I hold up a piece of bread, and I have them eat it. And then I say, hey, when you have your first communion, it's the body of Jesus. Guess what it's going to taste like? Some kids are like body, like a piece of meat. And then other kids who have kind of figured out it's a trick question, they usually say, it tastes like bread. I'm like, that's right. It tastes exactly the same. But is it the same? No. You trust, so the idea is that you trust God's word more than your tongue. So, this woman says, I trust you more than, than my, my, my history, the way I see myself. So this is the important thing is, I see myself according to you for your sake, not for my sake. And then that's why the woman can say that. See, the danger is to say, yeah, that's right. I'm... Uh, all those wonderful things, and say that based on you, right? <laughs> that, that obviously is self-centered and not very Christian. But um, to, believe, to believe what God says to you. Uh, Psalm 139, verse 14 is another really uh, wonderful thing. Pardon the pun there. Um, it's an acknowledgement of, of God's creation in you. When God creates you. Suppose I could just turn to it. You've probably heard this before. It's usually related to, um, like, pro-life, but it's it's a little bit out of context. But um, I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Okay, so I'm fearfully and wonderfully made, and then the next word is wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. So I am, that's verse 14, 139 verse 14. So the acknowledgement is, I am wonderful by saying this. Again, I mean, this is like a, now the only way she can say this, though, is based on a couple things. We're in verse, we're in chapter, okay, back to Song of Solomon. The only way she can say that is, uh, we're, in, we're in chapter 10, or 7, right? So she can say this because of what he ha- uh, because of the relationship. So they've been they've uh, uh, they've been joined together. They made these public promises, and now based on this foundation of trust and commitment, this dance happens, <laughs> um, and and then he he says all these things about her. And then she says, yeah, that's right. So this whole scenario, as Donna has already said, is like Eden. But of course, it can only happen, though, based on what God has done. So, um, yeah, the hardest verse in this bunch, I think, is, is verse 10. Because that's a confession of faith. To say that God's love is real, I've received it, and it's changed me. All right. So, yeah, so compliments. um, We can't distrust compliments. (laughs) It's hard. It's very hard to distrust compliments. 
Yeah, Donna. I think that um, the wife has to acknowledge that her husband is gifted. Or by the- oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, Donna. So, yeah, so thanks, Donna. Um, so, of course, this always starts with God. God is the giver. So any human giver has started on this, this right here, right? God has made me and all creatures. So there's, there's no, so that this is important. This goes back to this aspect, is that if we we see, yeah, our our primary stance in life is receiving, but not to the annihilation of giving. We can only give because we've received. But a full acknowledgement of the gift is to be given. It goes back to that cup of co- or the cup of water. Well, that, that's a little complicated because you know we always think, right? Hey, give me a cup of water. I'm going to drink it. What happened to the what happened to the gift? It went away. So that maybe that analogy wasn't so helpful. But but when it comes to love, that's a little more helpful is that when you become a beloved person, you now have been filled up with love, which then transfers you into the lover, which you can give. But you still need to receive love. So it keeps moving, keeps, keeps going and changing. It doesn't say static, but it keeps moving along. So, like, for instance... Uh, well, I'll give two examples, one with my wife and one with my best friend growing up. Holly and I met, you know, where we got married and we loved each other. I've always loved her, but is my love the same in May 2001? It's not the same anymore, right? It's different now. What, January? January 2018? So... It's 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 different. It's not the same, but it's still love, and so that's why you know relationships can grow or change. We say grow, but they change all the time. You know, um, my best friend growing up, John Winter. We we love each other. We're best friends, but our relationship has changed quite a bit. I mean, over the years, right? So we graduate high school, we go to college, he gets married, I get married. But we still love each other. I mean, we still are friends. Still are friends. So there's always this constant being given to and giving to. So the woman in the Song of Songs, it's not like she's, oh, hey, I, we've had the night together. You know, we're all done now. I know what it's like to be loved. I know what it's like to be loved. And he's right, right? But this is a constant relationship, a constant giving, a receiving. And then that's why she can then say in verse 11, what does she call him? My beloved. So now she has become the lover. All right. Uh, we, actually, we actually confess to this. When we go to individual confession and absolution, this line has always struck me ever since the first time I've done this. And it's come alive since the Song of Songs. So page 292 in your hymnals, next time you can look that up later. Um, you kneel down and you say, Pastor, please hear my confession and pronounce forgiveness in order to fulfill God's will. Pastor says, proceed. And the first bit is kind of, well, we, we might be used to it. I, a poor, poor sinner, plead guilty before God of all sins. I have lived as if God did not matter and as if I mattered most. My Lord's name I have not honored as I should. My worship and prayers have faltered. And then here, this is the line that's always struck me. I have not let his love have its way with me, and so my love for others has failed. Uh, I mean, I've always been struck by that comment. How my, uh, I've not let God's love have its way with me. Okay, when in verse 10, when the woman says, I am my beloved and his desires for me, 
it's an example of, of God's love having, having his way with the beloved. But just like in that confession, when God has loved me, then that effect, I become a lover. So in the confession, you said, you say, I, I have not let God's love have its way with me. I have not let it change, such as I have rejected it. And when I reject it, that means I cannot love others. So in, from 10 to 11, in Song of Solomon, verse chapter 7, 10 to 11, when she calls him my beloved, she has now become the lover. She's let his love have its way with her, and now she has loved or become the lover. So as Christians, we let our bridegroom have, its, have, have his way with us, his love have its way with us, which I know sounds not right, because uh, unfortunately we use that language for other things. But when Christ has loved us and we have let that love change us, we now love others. And we confess this in the post-communion collect. I thank you, Almighty God, through Jesus Christ our Lord, that you have... That, that's right. Keep going. In faith towards you and fervent love towards one another. I think I may be talking about this before. The word fervent means passionate, reckless. So, this passionate love has now had its way with us in the Lord's Supper, where our bridegroom has joined us in the marriage feast, and now we go out into the world to love one another. Jan. Going back to Ephesians, if you go to Ephesians 2.10, it talks about this, and it says, right. we are his workmanship, yep. created in Christ Jesus for good works or showing acts of love. That's right. We talked about this on Wednesday at the vicar. Oh, good. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Walk in them. So, and, and the wor- uh, workmanship is like a piece of art. So it's it's very it's 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 pretty it's pretty it's beautiful language. So the works are not. I mean, we think about like moral, ethical things, but Paul is actually writing it in terms of creating a beautiful piece of life, a be- beautiful piece of uh, art. Um. You know, which seems a lot more fun to do than go around and follow some rules and check them off, right? Remember where his workmanship. Oh, that's exactly right. So this is, again, so, so uh, of course, so, Jan, you bring this up. This is great. So um, what we see in Song of Solomon now is being played out in other parts of the Bible, right? So, okay, Ephesians 2.10, of course, what are the two famous verses before that? For by grace we have been saved through faith. But then keep going, right? So God has loved us without any merit or worthiness in us. God has created us not because he needs us, but because he loved us. And when he creates us, when he saves us or creates us, it's for it's for a beautiful a beautiful thing. So, um, what Paul says in that three verses, well, then he gets flushed out for the entire book, but in those three verses is happening in the Song of Solomon. But the, so Solomon is using a, a male and a female relationship to play that out of, of just our relationship with God. So, of course, though, this goes, to, uh, this goes to the second thing about the words used in the Song of Solomon are pretty graphic. I mean, when, uh, I mean, yeah, this, this, this husband desires his wife. God desires us. And not, not to be simple like, hey, get in line, kind of like a teacher with children. But like he wants us, he desires us. He, he, it's a very passionate sort of relationship which is I'm a little uncomfortable with, I'll be honest. However, it's very important for us to understand that because um, uh, 
God, our God, God of the Bible is not the God of the Greeks or ancient Near East, where their gods usually were, you know, stuck up on Mount Olympus, or they were just kind of even like the Stoic philosophers thought of God being um, kind of uh, dispassionate, kind of aloof to what's happening around them. And every now and then they'd come in and kind of, just, you know, meddle in human life. But they were completely self-contained. They could just, just be by themselves. God in Holy Scripture, though, is, I mean, is portrayed as being this very passionate lover who wants to be with us all the time, right? And wants to be in our lives. So, I mean, this is pretty graphic. I mean, it's, very, it's one of the more graphics, not the right word, but intimate descriptions of how God is in our life. The other aspect, too, about the chapter is all the senses, the seeing sense, and then the, the tasting senses, and the smelling sense, which is later in, in uh, verses 11 through 13. Um, you know, the uh, verse 13, the word mandrakes, I just learned this because I... Um, that word actually, it's, uh, it's kind of used. It's not quite a technical... It's not technically a mandrake. It's just this weird word of love inducer. It's a fr- like a yeah yeah for lack of a better word yep. It's something to kind of spur the senses, spur the passion. Because I mean I don't know I mean are mandrakes really that smelly? I don't think I've ever smelled a mandrake. It's one of the, it's like a Norwal. I've only seen it on. You know, on TV. Um, I think Jacob's wife, Leah, talks about Oh, and they, yes, for the same thing, right? She wants them from... She wants him to come to her so she can have more children. Yeah, right. So she uses mandrakes for that, yeah. But that's what a mandrake is. But this actual word, though, is... Is the closest relative, but it's not really technically what it is. Which it, it doesn't really change the meaning. It just means it kind of gives this more rich level of how um, you know smelly things are. So that's really important for us because when God relates to us, it's not it's 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 incarnational. When we have God who is kind of stuck up into heaven or kind of keeps his distance from us, we're disincarnating God. So like for here in our, in our paradigms, when God is giving us and, and giving to us, he's not giving to us at arm's length, he's giving to us very, very closely and passionately. Like the image in chapter 7. I mean, this is not a public dance. It's very close. And they're giving and receiving, and it's, yeah, oofta. Um, okay, so that, that's another thing, too, is that, um, going back to Jan, we said earlier, Ephesians chapter 2, 8, 9, and 10, verse 10, God, we are his workmanship, we are his piece of, of art. We are his, so it's like an artist making a, you know, a statue or, or a painter. He's creating us for, for beauty, for love, for life. Not because uh, the, the creator needs us, but he created us to love. I mean, to be loved and then to love back. That's the hard part. God actually wants to be loved by us. So when we actually don't say to the Lord, you know, I know, I know you say that I'm, I'm beautiful, but you know, listen, I, I've had a pretty bad, crummy past. So, I'm not really that beautiful. We're actually denying who we are as God's creatures. So, okay. So, anyways, so that we have this very sensual, passionate God that is um, very different than kind of other, other gods. And precisely for the fact that it's, that's important. Um, okay, this is kind of a tangent, but uh, not so much of a tangent, because I don't think we're going to do this for the Song of Solomon, but um, 
so we talk about the senses and God coming close to us. We've already talked about the post-communion collect. So where, where does this get played out? Between male and female, of course. But even, even usurping that relationship, it gets played out precisely in, the, in church, in the liturgy. So think about it this way, okay? I know this might be strange, but I, I think I did, I did talk about like St. Augustine, how he talked about the, uh, the cross being the, uh, the marriage bed. And when he says, it is consummated, or it is finished, the Latin is, it's consummated. I think I did that right way back when, back in September, where <laughs> it was. We're almost done, by the way, so it'll be good. Um, so the liturgy, so going to church is where our lover says really nice things about us. Not because we're worthy of it, but because he loves us. So in God's word, in, the, in Holy Scripture, he says, you know, we're, well, first of all, we enter into um, worship acknowledging that we trust God more than ourselves in confession, confession and absolution. We, have, we acknowledge that we have not let God have its way with us. His love has a way with us. So our love is, for others have faltered. Um, but God says, I forgive you. So we've been forgiven, and then that's who we are, forgiven. We're forgiven people. We're not, yeah, okay. So then, uh, we, then we, he says nice things to us. He says uh, in his holy word, he talks about who he is and what he's done and, and how much he loves us. And then in the creed, what do we do? Yeah, we talk back to him. We say, yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, when I, I, uh, I just had a early Lord's Supper inter- examination, first communion examination. And when we talk about the creed, I always ask the kids, is God, is a, is God a pink unicorn? They're like, no. I'm like, well, how do you know? And at first they're just like, because that's stupid. But most of, them, most of them know that I'm asking a question. Uh, pertinent to the lesson I taught back in the summertime. So they say, um, because that's not what God's word says. I'm like, oh. So if I say, so, so what do we want, do we want to say the same thing as God's word? They're like, yeah. So if, is God, Father, Son, Holy Spirit? Yes. So where, where, where do, we, do we, do we say that in church? And they all say yes, but a lot of, half of them forget the word creed, so I just have to tell them. The creed, because they all—they all—I say. Um, I usually go. I believe in one God, the Father, all night. So I try to sound like a group of people, and then they can always finish the sentences. But, but that's exactly what the creed is, right? The creed is like verse ten, where we say, "I believe God. I believe I am. Uh, I am my beloved's, and His desire is for me." And then what happens? Then we go into the, the Lord's Supper where he loves us. We were brought into communion. And then at the end, in our post-communion collect, we say, hey, now we get to love more. Get to go out and love. So, um, but of course, all that is wrapped up in the sense, this, the senses of the liturgy. In fact, I, uh, I think behind here, you can see my Dr. Bob Love on the other side of this whiteboard. Dr. Bob Love is a guy who loves to go to church, but he doesn't like to just sit there and do nothing. He likes to see things, smell things, hear things, taste things, and touch things. So Dr. Bob Love, he's got really big eyes, big ears, big nose, big mouth, big hands. And so our our kids, we're going through with the kids too. When we go to church, can can we show Bob Love how... All his desires can be met when he comes to church here at St. John. So, so anyways, so that's a reflection. The way we worship is a reflection of how God first relates to us and how our relationship with him is um, lived out. So, yes, but the thing is, though, our, our senses are to serve as a springboard. So that goes back to what I say to the little kids in the, 
uh, when I talk about the Lord's Supper, it's not like I, you don't annihilate the tongue when you eat the Lord's Supper and say, ah, oh, it doesn't matter what it tastes like. No, it's just that faith has now unlocked your tongue to see more than what's there. And that's the same as when faith has unlocked your eyes to see yourself not according to yourself, your own works, but according to God's grace. And when we look at ourselves through God's love, we see someone, we see someone who's, who, who uh, is desired. God desires me. And that's, that's a, it's a really good thing. But it's really hard to get used to. Hard to believe. Just like believing that Christ is present in the Lord's Supper or God's present in the baptismal water or Christ is even present in a word. I mean, this is like... But faith will unlock that to see the fullness of what God is doing. So, um, yeah, okay. So the physical senses in chapter 7, the seeing and the touching and the smelling, well, hearing... Oh, and ta- yeah, it's all five of them are in there. That's right. Yeah. Um, the, the tasting, the smelling, the seeing, the um, hearing, hearing the words. Right. Tasting, smelling. What am I missing? Oh, touch. Yeah, touch is actually in there. But that's, that's the verse that I'm, like, I feel uncomfortable reading to women. Okay. <laughs> Let's be honest. Okay. Um, yeah. So there's, uh, yes, all five of them are in this thing, but all it's just it's like it's like worship. We we come and God says some wonderful things, true things through His love, through His love for Christ's sake. He says these things, and now He wants to enter into this relationship with us, which then hopefully should help us with the rest of the week. Or the next time we come to church. Um, yeah. Okay. Any any questions? Sorry, I kind of babbled on right there. But um, challenge will be to believe God's word. That's basically it. It's not, not too revolutionary, but to actually believe that you are desirable based on God's word. All right. Now, uh, I think just move on to chapter 8. And I don't know. I mean, next week might be our last time with Song of Solomon. Probably. And then um, we'll make our decision. You'll know by next week what we're going to do after that. We have a couple ideas. Let's pray. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen.